excited for tonight. Yeah. So we're going to just jump right in. Bloop. Let's go deeper already. Okay, so... Thanks. So we, our framework of going deeper still is Mark 12, 13, 31. But I want to roll back just a teensy bit to verse 28. And uh, verse 28 of, ver- of chapter 12 in Mark, it says that one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening uh, to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered really well. And so he said, of all, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So this guy is a religious teacher law, like he knows his, he knows his stuff. And so he says, which is the most important? And Jesus... Before he says, love the Lord your God, he says this. He says, first, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. That's first. That is what is called Shema. And it comes out of Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9. And that right there is sort of this... um, it's the affirmation of God's kingship and, it's his, and his singularity. It is a daily uh, recitation uh, for those who are uh, believing and, uh, and like practicing Jews. It's this is its constant uh, piece of their, they're like, this is, whole religion lands on that. And so Jesus is reading this guy's mail. He knows where this guy is coming from, and he says, I see you, and I raise you. So first, let's just start with the Shema. And then he goes deeper, and he says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he takes it even deeper still, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus already takes what we, what this man was attempting to make a, a, almost a surface level question. Like, what is the first commandment? Jesus just explodes it and says, oh, it's all of this. And isn't that often the nature of Jesus? That's a bit of a Jesus thing to do. We ask him one thing and it turns out that it's all of this, Right? Whenever we've been praying for something, seeking the Lord for something, it typically isn't just the one thing that we prayed about. It's usually got a whole other pieces to it. And I just think that's really cool. Because God is, com- he is, he is complex, and he makes it simple for us. And he's got more things than we think we even know to ask for. And that's really cool. And so here we have the beginning, this framework, and Jesus is almost like a bam, 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 right? Like he's just hitting them up really good with this is what it's all about. And so last week we took a look at what it means to love the Lord your God and what devotion is all about. And so this, today we're going to take a look at loving your neighbor. Okay, so that's my pre- Now, 
At the beginning of the year, I told a story about my brother, Glenn. And Glenn gave me a wonderful gift. And it was a necklace. And, uh, and, it, was, and it was this m- picture, right? A picture of God's goodness, that he is a good gift giver. And, uh, and so it was this, and so people, like when I wear it, people will say, oh, that's what Glenn gave you. That's so nice. So when I got back here this December or this January, I had a couple of people ask me what Glenn got me for Christmas. <laughs> I really talked him up. So can I just show you what he got me for Christmas? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is what he got me for Christmas. It's a cutting board. Whoa! Isn't that neat? But it's no ordinary cutting board. Oh, no. It has really cool things on it. (sighs) See? It's got, like, the different measurements of cups to grams. Right? It will do the conversion for me of volume measure from, like, cups to ounces to milliliters. Wow. I can use it as a ruler if I need to measure something. It's got weights. Now, here's the thing. I think this is super cool. Super cool. Not nearly as an emotional gift as last year. Not nearly. It's very neat. I don't really love to bake. But it's way cool. It's way cool. And I think Glenn would agree with me when he would say, this gift, he knew I would like. I really do like it. I I, I joke, but I really do like this. Um, But this doesn't necessarily represent, like, the love that he has for me as his sister. Right? Like, this isn't the be-all and end-all of how much he loves me. Now, I am not a great gift giver. Uh, I just don't have it in me. So I got him books and, um, like, a, what do you, like, um, a toiletries bag. I, that's what I got him. A toiletries bag. Like, I love him much more than two books in a toiletries bag. Much more than that. Um, but really, that was what I had to do. Like, that was it. And that was about as much as I could spend on him was two books in a toiletries bag. And this was as much as he could spend on me. But this isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all, the representation of our relationship of our, the love that we have between two siblings. I feel like I need to just put this in. We have another sibling. His name is DJ. <laughs> I also have a sister-in-law. Just Glenn and I, we're best friends. So not only are we brother and sister, but we're best friends. Now, some of you are engaged in this room, and you got an extra sparkly ring on your finger. That ring on your finger does not represent the amount of love. It does not match the amount of love that that person who put that ring on that finger has for you. 
gifts just, just, they're great. Gifts are good. I like gifts. I'll take them. If you want to give me a gift, I'll be happy to receive it. Um, (laughs) But they don't, they don't fully encompass. They are a bit of a reminder or a, a treasure or a trinket of one's love, but they don't actually encompass the love that we have for another person because our love exceeds the thing that we are giving. Now, Richard Foster, who is the grandpappy of all the um, spiritual gifts, he said this about love. If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. That is true. And this will then lead us to prayer. Intercession is the way of loving others. To love other people is to pray for them. Okay, now we're done and we can go home. No, No, we got more to go. Okay, so before we take a look at what intercession actually is, I feel like we need to go back to the beginning. Now, for those of you who were here last year, we used the word narrative. There was a bit of a narrative last year. And I am seeing the narrative this year. So right off the get-go last year, we talked about how we were anointed by the anointer. We were anointed, uh, in, and, our, and our text was out of Luke 4, and it said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives would be released, that the blind would see, that the oppressed would be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That is our calling. We have been anointed by the anointer. We have been anointed and we have been, um, oh, the word just left my head, consecrated um, and set apart for a holy purpose. We have been set apart for a holy purpose to be a holy priesthood, which we see in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, but you have been a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions. But then the next verse goes on to say that once you were not a people, we, he's saying you were chosen people, but once you weren't, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we've been anointed, set apart to be a holy priesthood, that we are a, a people, that we are a nation. And then in Romans 8, We know that we are the children of God. And then Paul explodes this concept and and sheds light on the expanding authority that God gives us, saying that we are not just a people, we are not just children, that we are co-heirs with Christ. So then not only are we co-heirs with Christ, we are co-laborers, right? Which uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3.9. So we are co-laborers in the business of the Father. That is who we are, with Jesus co-laboring to do the work of the Father. Well, what's the Father's business? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? We know it. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's business is loving the world, right? It's personal. God's business is personal to love the world. He gave us life and freedom from condemnation. That's the father's business. And we have been given the authority and the anointing to co-labor with Christ in those efforts. Now, last week, we explored the concept of devotion, of getting to know God's name. And when we know God's name, we will know his character and his nature. This is... uh, when we, when we are devoted to, to God and getting to know his nature and his character, that is when we begin to look like him. That is the outflow of devotion, where we actually start to take on his nature, when we get, begin to start walking in step with his spirit, where out of our very being, out of the marrow of who we are, we begin to, to show divine, like love that goes beyond human capacity, right? Joy that doesn't make sense. Peace that surpasses all of our circumstances. We begin to look and act like faithful people, good people, right? That we would be gracious. We begin to actually live out and look like Jesus. That's the Father's business, And when we spend time getting to know the Father, his name, his nature, his character, we begin to look like him. We begin to do the things that he does, right? We all know that. We all know that when we spend time in proximity with other people, we begin to take on their their little things, their little quirks, right? Like this. You know when people are thinking and they're like, they're like, that thing? That's a this, that's a here thing. That's a... People do that because they've started to come to Summit. You know that thing where it's like, like, what do they, do you know what I mean? I can't, I don't, I refuse. No. (laughs) But we take on the nature. And so if we are in devotion, if we are loving God in devotion, then we will take on his very nature. And if we are taking on his very nature, if we are in step with his spirit, and that we are anointed, we will do the things he does. And so if we do the things that he does, what we will do and what we must do is intercede. Because when Jesus, who died... As Romans 8:34 says, who died but more than that who was raised to life is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. We must intercede because Jesus intercedes for us. We must. The loving, freeing work of the cross that the, the work that Jesus did, the making right of the cross, that continues because he intercedes for us. And it continues because we then get to intercede too. And it's not just for us. It's not just for you and it's not just for me. It's a really cozy thought to think that Jesus intercedes for you and me, and he does. But he doesn't just intercede for you and me. And so if he just doesn't intercede for you and me, then I need to pray more 
that not just about you and me. I need to pray for you and for me. But if Jesus is interceding for other people, then I've got it too. So we've been appointed and, uh, and anointed to preach good news to the poor. To be priests to be representatives of Jesus. And as priests, we've been appointed and anointed. We have the absolute honor, an absolute honor to go before God on behalf of others. It is an absolute honor. It is not optional either. It is a sacred obligation for any one of us who calls ourselves Christians we call ourselves followers of Jesus, it's an obligation and an honor to intercede for other people. Now, Paul says to his readers in 1 Timothy, right at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Notice that he says, first of all, That's the very first thing to do. I'll be straight up honest with you. That's not always my first thing that I do. I don't always start there. And I don't think that I'm alone. We don't always start with prayer. I don't always start. When I I hear of what somebody else is going through, I might think, oh, maybe I should... Make them a casserole. No, I don't think that. I think maybe I should buy a chicken that's already cooked at the grocery store for them. Or what can I do to help them? Well, that's all fine and good. But if I live that way, then I almost leave Jesus in my dust. Trail, some, trying to trail something that's goodness for Jesus, but not actually partnering, not actually co-laboring with Jesus. When Paul urges, urges his readers, that's you and I, when we are urged to intercede and pray, we must do that. We, that is us co-laboring. We can't move ahead of God. We co-labor with him. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for others. So how do we even begin there? How do we begin praying and interceding for others? I want to say this before we head, keep going any further. I want to be um, careful as to not like say this is the 10 steps of intercession. Because I think, or my concern in those 10 steps is that we don't necessarily rely on the Holy Spirit. And so we must leave space for the Holy Spirit to direct us as we intercede because we co-labor. So as we talk about ways and practical ways, we might see a number here or there, but let us not make it so systematic that we lose out the passion of what um, the, the heart and the passion that Christ have, Christ has for intercession and that we should have. So how do we begin? I think it starts when we think, when we sing things like this, this passion in my heart 
this stirring in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know I'm living for the glory of this earth, for the glory of on your earth. It begins with songs like that, this declaration. This is what I'm living for. This is my passion, God. I think it starts saying, God, I'm passionate. Stir in my heart. I can't do it on my own. Stir it up in me, which we sang. Stir it up, God, because we can't pray uh, without the Holy Spirit moving in our lives because we co-labor. So as, and as that happens, as we sing, stir a passion, Lord, let us keep that sentence, keep going. Let, let us stir a passion in my heart for other people. For other people. Because that's really what it's all about. Stir a passion in my heart to see so that the nations will know for other people. And as we say, as we sing those songs, as we pray those prayers, the Lord will build up that love. He will build up. He will grow love within us if we let him. He will grow that love. And as our love for our neighbors, that can be our friends, and that should also include our enemies, as that love for our neighbor grows deeper still, our ability to love will get capped. It will get capped by action. But our ability to love, once it gets capped by action, continues on once we start praying. Now, prayer is tricky, right? Because it's, it's complex. It's a little elusive at times. You know, it's, it's, it's easier, almost, to preach a sermon, that's concrete. You got to start, you got to finish. Prayer time after. It's concrete. Concrete, you know, like uh, a bring your friends night to church, like a games night. That's concrete. Or like even putting an, um, an organizational plan together. That is concrete. It's concrete work. And yet, once we step into the world of interceding for other people, it's no longer concrete right? It is no longer in our hands to actually like put together. We don't actually know what will come of those prayers. It's complex. And yet God personally invites us through his anointing to in be involved and invested in the labor of loving other people by praying for them. And it, it, is, it is labor. It, prayer, intercessory prayer, can actually be quite laborious. It can actually be quite, quite a lot of work. It can be a lot of um, heart work, isn't it? It can be quite tiring. It can be quite frustrating. It could be quite heartbreaking because we've all been there, right? Like if there were an elephant in the room, what we would say is, well, we have prayed our prayers, Kim. I've prayed for people. We've prayed generally, God, your will be done. And we didn't see that happen. Or so we think of what God's will would be. 
And we prayed really specifically because we're supposed to be specific and, and expect specific things. And we prayed that way. And it didn't happen either. Or according to what we thought God was going to do. And so that hangs, right? It is, it is that. It is the mystery of, well, that didn't get answered like I wanted it to get answered. It's that mystery that makes intercession laborious and hard. Because once you've had one prayer that didn't get answered the way you didn't want, the way it did, you didn't answered in the, you know. You know. Well, then we start to, then we start to wonder, is prayer, is it actually worth it? Is it actually worth it to pray for this person? It's there. That, that complexity or that, that mystery, that almost that not good feeling that I, I know I should pray, but I don't really want to pray because this didn't happen the last time. And maybe I'm not a good prayer. Maybe I just don't have the right words to say, and I'm not a good prayer. And this is what I wanted to say. You know how people talk about prayer warriors? Yeah? So as we were praying, I just thought, you know what? There are people here who don't think that you're very good prayers and that your prayers don't make, don't make up much. That you haven't quite cracked the code to prayer. What I would say to you is, rise up, mighty prayer warrior. Rise up. Keep praying. God's got it. So in his all power, in his all knowing, in his complete ability and his, his, his ability to, to have everything in the palm of his hand, he still invites us to pray. He still invites us to pray because the truth still remains in spite of those, those experiences where maybe it didn't happen the way that we had hoped it would happen. The truth still remains at 2 Corinthians seven fourteen says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That truth remains. He will hear. The truth remains, as in James 5, 6 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That is truth. That's scripture. That truth remains. That 1 John 5, 14 to 15, it says that this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The truth still remains. Jesus' words In Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That truth remains. That's scripture. That's truth. And is it complex? Does it always work out the way that I pray? No. It's complex. Yes. 
And really, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you the reasons why, because I actually don't know. Because our prayers are at the mercy of God. And I mean that in the positive sense. Our prayers are at his mercy. But here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Jesus knew our struggle. He knew that we would be struggling with timing and the way that things are answered. His approach to it, he knew we would be struggling with this. And so he actually told stories to teach us what to do in these situations. And so let's just take a look at one real quick. The parable of the widow. Luke specifies Jesus' reason for telling this story. In Luke 18, the very first verse, before Jesus actually gets to what he's saying, before he actually starts his parable, he says, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So Jesus knows it's a bit of a struggle. And he told stories to keep us on track that we are going to have to keep praying and never give up. And so we pray. Now, Jesus, he does, um, he, he takes a look at this widow and we see this widow who, who wouldn't, who wouldn't relent. She refused to accept her helplessness. And instead, she stood up to injustice and she persisted. And because of that, she sort of, well, she won the day. She persisted. Jesus keeps, asks, or wants us to keep asking, keep praying, keep going. Because he knew it would be a struggle, we should always pray and never give up. Now, how many of you Well, you all know how my family cooks a turkey because I told a ridiculously long story about it at our Christmas banquet. And if you weren't there, you're probably better off. (laughs) But you know how my family cooks a Christmas turkey. We would never, never cook a turkey in a microwave. Ever. Now... I'm not talking, like, I'm not talking leftovers. I'm talking legit the turkey. Like, it is still cold. It is raw. It needs to get cooked. We would never stick that thing in there. Never. It would never do the job. It needs far more time. It needs far more effort. What a turkey needs is a roasting pan, right? And it's usually the pan that only comes out at Christmas. Is that at your house too or just mine? right? Yeah. It needs a roasting pan and a baster, right? And every, like, like every so often you squeeze in, you let the juice go through the little nozzle and you baste that baby, right? And you just baste for hours, Because turkeys take a long time to cook. For hours, you go, you pull it out of the oven, stick the nozzle in, baste, almost burn the hairs off your arm, stick it back in, right? And you wait. 
And then you go back, take it out of the oven, and you suck up the juice, and you put it on the turkey, and you baste it. And you let the juice marinate that thing to, the, to where it should be, right? To be a juicy, delicious, yummy turkey. This is how you cook a turkey. You don't microwave a turkey, ever. Even if it's leftovers, it still doesn't taste great. Why would we ever, if we can't microwave a turkey, we should never microwave our prayers? Whoa! But that's what we want for people. You're sick? Oh, let me pray for you. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they'd be healed. Amen. Are you healed? Right? Now, I'm not saying that that could not happen because it absolutely can. It absolutely can. But intercession, that's basting. That's basting. That is hours and hours of attending to something. It's basting. Let us not consider our prayers for other people something that needs to be done quick and snappy. Because we know that anything that we do put in the microwave either comes out freezing cold or lava hot. So it doesn't even work really well anyways. So why would we ever try to do something so like lickety-split quick with our prayers? If we're talking love, then the people that I need to love deserve much more than microwave prayers. We need to take some time and baste it. Attend to our prayers. Attend to the person. And that attending to, that basting, if you will, there's a really fancy religious word that we could use called supplication. Supplication is the means where it is like asking with earnestness and with intensity and with perseverance. It is declaring that we are deadly serious about what we are asking for. Like it is like brass tacks. Like we're getting down to business. And we have to, we have to keep doing it. Calvin, he said, we must repeat the same supplication, not twice or three times only, but as often as we need. A hundred and a thousand times. We must never be weary in waiting for God's help. We, talk, we just sang a song about waiting. And it felt really nice. Waiting doesn't always feel nice, but we need to do it. Faithfulness really is the foundation of intercession, basting, sticking to it. So the question then, well, then I have the question is, does my intercession, does my prayer for others look that way? Do I have the patience? Do I have the determination? Do you have the patience? Do you have the determination to keep praying? Um, we sing, we sang the song, let it rise, let it rise. Holy, holy fire burn inside. We have that song. Now the Levitical law or the Levitical legal code for the fire 
um, that was at the altar, it was kept to be burning perpetually. You see that in Leviticus 6. It is determination and fortitude and longevity that keeps intercession going. Because, and I love that song, Holy Holy Spirit, like, stir it up. Let us not take ourselves out of the equation on that one. We get to be a part of tending that fire. See, loving someone, loving someone through intercession requires stamina, right? Requires stamina. Imagine a person going for a half marathon. Like, I could never do that. Never. I do not have the stamina. I don't. I could barely run for an hour. Like, no, I can't even run for an hour. I could barely run for a minute and a half. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have the, I don't have it. But it can be built. It can be built. We can build stamina. Right? We can do that. That's our part. And the Lord helps us, absolutely. The Holy Spirit helps us. But it's our part too, to build the stamina. How do we do that? Get in devotion with God, right? When we have that stamina, that love for others, that is what takes us deeper still with God. So I want to quickly look at one person who I think really represents this. And he is a, he is a prayer warrior, Daniel. Let's take a look at Daniel for a second. I've spent significant amount of time in Daniel um, over like November and December and now January. And I'm loving this book and I'm loving Daniel and he's such a great example. And he's, he is a great example of somebody who prays. He's a prayer warrior, right? Prayer got him into the lion's den. Prayer got him out too. Now, let's take a look, not at him going into the lion's den, but a little bit further on at chapter 9. So we're going to go to uh, Daniel chapter 9. So in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, It was the first year and reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asaurus a fun name, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year in his reign, I, Daniel, was studying the writings of the prophets. I learned that the word, I learned from the word of the Lord, so recorded by Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I wore a rough sackcloth and sprinkled, and sprinkled myself with ashes. So real quick, Daniel's been in his point of service for about 30 years at this point. He's been an excellent representation of, of uh, like an admirable Jewish man. He's represented his people well. He's represented God well. And, uh, and he has spent time with God praying. And he's gotten in the word and as a result of that inspiration through the word of God, he then begins to pray and intercede for his people and intercede for the city of God. And so he, he, um, he intercedes and he confesses. 
he confesses his sin and the sins of the people. And then that leads us to verse 17. So let's just hop to 17 and we'll jump and cover the, a few different bits here. So verse 17. So he's, he has already begun to pray to God and he says, Oh God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, listen to me and hear my request. Open your eyes and see our wretchedness. See how your city lies in ruins, for everyone knows that it's yours. We do not ask this because we deserve help, but because you are so merciful. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay for your people and your city bear your name. Let's just keep going. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people pleading with the Lord, my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in earlier vision, came swiftly to me At the time of the evening sacrifice, he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a a command was given. I am here to tell you what it was, for God loves you very much. We'll stop there. You can read his heart, right? Like, I am... A overuser of an exclamation point. Overuser. Like any texts, there's usually three exclamation points multiple times. You know, the Bible isn't very, um, like, there isn't a lot of exclamation points. And they're there for a reason. You can read his heart. You can read the love that he has for his people, the love that he has for his city, for his home. You can read it. You can feel it as you read this text. And it's so cool because in uh, verse 23 where it says, that moment you began praying, a command was given. See, this wasn't the first time that Daniel prayed. Right? We know. We know that Daniel prayed back in chapter 5, I believe, when he was, um, before he was sent to the, the den of lions. He prayed. He prayed three times a day. He prays daily, multiple times. Big time prayer. So, this is not the first time that he has been praying for his, his people, his city. Not the first time. But it says, the moment you began praying, a command was given. For some reason, known by God alone, that that moment, a command was given. That that moment, action started to take place. He persisted. He prayed and kept praying. And it was at that point that Gabriel then unpacked what Daniel was reading and unpacked the the answer to Daniel's prayer. The answer is that there was going to be restoration. But there wasn't just going to be restoration for the people of Israel. There was going to be restoration for all of humanity found in Jesus. So again, here we see the nature, the 
the generous nature of God that says, you want this? Well, I'll give you this. But he kept praying. And we can learn a few things here. There are some, there are some intercession lessons. Say that five times fast. There are some lessons that we can learn from in, about intercession here. Number one, be prepared. Prepare, for inter, prepare to intercede. Daniel was in his Bible. I had this moment when I was reading this. It was, I was telling some of our um, student leaders, I had this moment. It was like biblical inception. Has anybody here seen the movie Inception? It's like a dream within a dream. This was like a biblical inception. So Daniel was having a revelation of God by reading Jeremiah, and I was having a revelation about God by reading Daniel, who was reading Jeremiah. Biblical inception. Anyways, (laughs) Daniel knew his Bible. He read it. He studied it. And because he read it and studied it, he knew exactly how to pray. He knew exactly what to pray. And not only did he know his Bible, he knew his God. He knew his God. He was in devotion with God. Daily spending time with God. He knew the heart of God. And so he could pray specifically because he knew what the word said and he knew who his God was. So as we think about and as we take up our rightful place as intercessors, let us prepare for, to get in our Bibles, to know our God, to know his nature and his, and his name. Secondly, devote time to intercede. Daniel prayed, and he prayed often, and he prayed a lot. And in our text, it says that he took time and he was fasting. So what we know about fasting is that's a daily thing. So not only did he take regular points, uh, parts out of his day to pray, he now is taking significant time in his day, the whole day to pray. And then Gabriel, he shows up at the evening sacrifice. So Daniel's been praying all day. So devote time to pray. In thinking about devoting time to pray, let's just think for just a second and reflect on when Daniel was praying before, when, um, just before he was taken into the lion's den. Just before then, in Daniel, sorry, I said Daniel 5, it's Daniel 6. So when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that, that no one should pray to God, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. So he took the time to pray. With, uh, so he went to his room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. When we take time to pray, it is as if we turn our eyes from the mirror and we look out the window. I think we need to do that more. When we take our eyes off the mirror and we look out the window and we pray about those who are outside that window, what is going on outside in the world, God will do the work in here. He will. We don't have to get this all fixed up before we start dealing with that. We pray. 
We pray because we have to be like Jesus. And so we pray. And he will do the work in here that we're a little bit worried about. So when we take time to pray, let us take our eyes off the mirror a bit and turn our eyes to the window. Thirdly, let's position ourselves to intercede. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will see his mercy, and, he will, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is a beautiful picture of how we should position ourselves, and we see this happening with Daniel. Our text says, be bold, come boldly to the throne of God. All right, so we have, we have the authority God has given us. Okay, let's walk boldly. Let's pray boldly. But then Hebrews talks about how we will receive mercy. So if we need to receive mercy, that means we don't have it all together yet, which means we need to stay humble. Because we are not the Savior of the world, Jesus is. And so we pray with boldness and we pray with humility. One of my favorite verses in this verse is when Daniel says, Do not hear or do not answer this prayer because of my righteousness, but because of your mercy. Again, we might not be the most eloquent. We might not even think that we're the best Christians. But pray. Ask boldly. No, you haven't got it all together, but Jesus sure does. And so we pray. We position ourselves with humility and boldness, that the two can coexist together. Uh, and that's the beauty of our spiritual position, because we cannot do that in our own nature, in our human nature. I'm going to ask the band to come up. So, some of our takeaways for tonight. We are anointed and appointed and empowered to intercede for others. That intercession is a labor of love. And God increases that, late, that love in our lives for others. Intercession is a mystery, but we are invited to be a part of that mystery. We need to prepare ourselves for intercession, to intercede for people. We need to devote time for others, and we need to position ourselves to intercede for others. Now, I think we would be remiss and we would do an injustice if we just left here. And so we're going to take some time and we're not going to pray for ourselves tonight at all. Deal? We are going to pray for other people. So as the, the band's going to just give us some nice, lovely music. But this is where we'd like to start. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of direct, where, direct how we're going to pray tonight, if you're cool and you're, if you'd be willing to go with me. So I'd like for us to stand. Just stretch our legs a little bit. And I want us to start. We are going to start a little bit with ourselves in that we are going to ask the Lord for a heart of love. And I would encourage you, we're going to take some significant amount of time to pray tonight. So walk around, come to the front, walk around in the sides. But let's begin, and I'd encourage you 
we know each other, let's use our voices. So let's pray. And let's begin by saying, Lord, give us a heart of love. Make my heart bigger. All right, let's begin to pray. having a heart of love, God's heart for people. Let's now pray as we begin to start praying for other people. Before we get there, let's be praying for direction. That our prayer would look something like this. Lord, direct my mind to the people that I need to pray for or the thing that I need to pray for. Direct me to know how to pray. And then, secondly, What scriptural truths do I need to pray into that person's life or that person's, that situation? So first, we're just going to be praying for God to take control of our mind, to direct our mind and recall scripture. So let's just take a moment and bring that sort of into play in our our prayer here. people. 
So that means our family, our friends, our coworkers, our roommates, our teammates, people that you, and, and I'd like for you to leave it open. Ask the question, God, who do I need to be praying for? If you got a journal, I'd start writing those people's names down. And let's be praying. If they're here, you can even pray for them. So we can move around. But let's let's be praying for our people. We're going to take some time and pray for our people, okay? All right. Jesus.
going to change or start praying for um, our ministry fields. So the church that you serve at, the church you attend, the ministry, your student ministry that you're involved in, the neighborhood that you live in. And this would be my request of you. If you go to the same church or part of the same ministry with somebody, clump up. Let's pray together. Find your people. This will be clumsy and that's all right. Join up and start praying for your ministry together. Intercede for your ministry.
when you're finished praying for your church, your outreach, your neighborhood, we're going to change uh, focus one more t- another time. And we're going to start praying for, for Canada. We're praying for our country, for our government leaders. Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, He said, pray for those, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that you can live in peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We need to pray for our government leaders, our educators. We've got some serious issues with, you know, some concerns that indigenous people are dealing with. If that's on your heart, be praying for that. People who are seeking asylum in Canada, You don't feel like you have to pray for those things, but ask the Lord to direct your heart as to how to pray for Canada. Let's pray for our country. You can do that in your group. You can do that alone. Continue.
we're going to move to our last point of focus. It's a biggie. We're praying for our world. Let's pray for our missionaries. A lot of you know missionaries personally. Lift them up in prayer. They need our support. They need our prayers. If you're one who's watching for global conflict or should be watching what's going on in our world, be praying on that. And we're going to come together at the end. I'm going to call us all, and we're going to be praying for salvation. All right? But let's take, let's take some time and pray for what's going on in our world and those who are doing the work of God in our world.
I'd love for us to come, to come together, not just in spirit, not just in heart, but to physically snug up. Like, let's come together out of your seat. Come together, and we're going to pray like an army. We're going to pray for salvation. Our world needs Jesus, and our world needs people who will pray, who will love them enough to stand together, come up nice and close, get close, and we're going to pray together. intercede on their behalf before our heavenly father who has given us life and life to the fullest we stand in victory and so tonight we will stand together knowing that we have hope knowing that we have life and life eternal and there are a lot of people out there who don't have what we have and need what we have and so we will pray together we will lift up our voices together and pray Yes? Okay, let's do it.
Take a breath.